Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership. This is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, Welcome, everyone, again to our regular Wednesday broadcast. I'm excited to be here. I hope you're uh, just as excited as I am. You know, I've had a a number of, of Things happened um, since I started this uh, podcast uh, almost 10 years ago. And I tell people that sometimes they go, 10 years? Like, yeah, believe it or not, uh, we're working on our 10th year. We're over 100 episodes. Used to be monthly. And then people kept saying, you should do it more often. And did it. And so now we're at weekly. We have a number of uh, scholars and practitioners, researchers that have been on and and really kind of evolved into – uh, just an eclectic uh, conversation, uh, 30 minutes that we have every week uh, with some fascinating guests uh, on a ver- variety of topics. And, and so very applicable to anyone in leadership across a wide range of disciplines, uh, although we do tend to focus in the education realm. And today is no exception. Uh, we have an exceptional uh, school building leader and an educational entrepreneur uh, that I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, uh, Dr. Jamel Atkins-Sharif. Welcome, Jamel. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, well, so glad to have you. And, and as I told you when we were getting started, um, there are a lot of people that have been, have been writing to me saying that they are uh, looking forward to this conversation, and I know uh, that uh, we won't disappoint them. Uh, that I, I do want to give you your, your due props. Your, um, uh, Dr. Sharif here is uh, the director of uh, Escolta Boston. Um, it's a, a high school research and redesign nonprofit, and, and so uh, doing a lot of work. Uh, looking at culturally sustaining uh, or sustainable school transformation. Um, and so a lot of the work I know that uh, has been done um, has been around looking into culturally relevant educational programming uh, for, for young men and women. And so uh, why don't you t- start out by telling me a little bit about uh, where you are now at School to Boston. Oh, absolutely. And um, uh, Again, honored to be on your show. Uh, so I'm at Escolta Boston, which is actually uh, began in New York City in 2010. Uh, it is a so we I am the director of the Boston office. Uh, it's my second year in the role, and what we do is we work with we work alongside schools, primarily high schools, primarily high schools that have um, alternative education programs, or in New York City they're known as transfer high schools. We primarily work with schools and school teams to identify problems of practice. Um, mm. So we, we position ourselves as uh, researchers and collaborators who are working with schools to identify their own problems for themselves um, and support them through facilitation, through research, through uh, bring, taking them through a design process to 
narrow in on one of the challenges that they're facing in their school so that they can take some small actionable steps towards uh, intervening or, or, or reversing that, that challenge um, in order to improve academic outcomes overall for students in the mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. So at Ascolta, we primarily, our, our primary mission is to improve uh, the school trajectories of black and Latinx students um, mm-hmm. and low-income students from low-income households mm-hmm. to improve their trajectories in schools so that they are graduating at increased rates from high school, college, and career ready. Sure, uh, sure. And, and, and so what that means is given whatever the issue that the school chooses to tackle, it could be around instruction, it could be around school culture, it could be around leadership development, um, we, we, we look to help schools through the process of identifying a problem, implementing a strategy, testing it, uh, reiterating it, scaling it up. Um, and, and, and so it's been really rewarding work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as, a, as a former principal, uh, often uh, tasked with leading schools through transition or through turnaround, mm-hmm. uh, as we know, it's no, it's no, it's, you know, many of us are aware uh, how many of our schools are challenged or are struggling or are not producing the kinds of results that we know our, our students, our young people deserve, particularly right. our children of color, particularly our children who come from communities that have historically been disturbed. Uh, right. We know that so many schools are not doing right by our children. Um, mm-hmm. And oftentimes, as a school leader, uh, you are told the best way to improve your school. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and what that often means is that the information, the directive, right, the nudging you're getting is not coming from the community you serve necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. The parents, That's the students, right. the caregivers, right? But it's coming from people who have their own ideas about what it takes to make schools better. And, yes. and sometimes those, those ideas are important and effective, and sometimes those ideas are greatly at odds with the perceived needs from the community's point of view. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I think about um, early in my career, I was uh, doing some research and in South Africa, and I, I, pre- I presented this model of all the different components of, of what I refer to as a school ecology and, and how you go about, just as you mentioned, how do you go about transforming schools to places that are relevant to students uh, that are historically disadvantaged and, and underserved. And I never will forget, um, and, and the, very early on, it was this, this uh, gentleman who was a professor um, at a university, and he said that, you know, he's like, I love this model. He said, there's one important thing you're missing, though. He said, and that is um, the community expectations for change. And I, that was a part of the, the kind of the ecology that I had not uh, explicitly put in. Um, now, I, I thought implicit in um, community climate is, you know, thinking and respecting, but, you know, a lot of what you said resonated with me because so often we don't include kind of the community perspective in what should happen. There are people with all of these great models, right, uh, of right. How, how schools are supposed to uh, look. Um, but that really depends on the community. So um, um, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. And, and part of that um, model, too, is about having uh, one of the most important stakeholder groups uh, in the entire model, the parents. And that's actually how 
uh, you know, I was really struck by an article that you wrote recently about engaging parents. Um, one thing is, is not just that that students aren't served well, communities and families haven't been served well. And Absolutely. so I, I can remember uh, just hearing feedback from parents and students over and over again that a lot of this, this the, the, the disservice, if you will, was generational. And yeah. and yeah. and that and that uh, sometimes those parents are the former students that were marginalized go on to be marginalized parents. And so, with the article that you wrote, spoke so eloquently about not only the importance but how you engage um, to or endeavor to engage um, uh, marginalized parents. Um, you you want to share right. a little bit about what your experiences have been and, and how you've been Absolutely. successful at doing that. Yes. Um, so I I mean you you basically you 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 teed it up. It's what are the community's expectations for change? And so that article was written. I wrote that when I was leading uh, an alternative uh, high school program in in Randolph, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, in many ways, students in alternative high schools are perhaps the most marginalized in in the entire school system. I mean, mm-hmm. it is it is it is often derisively seen as the last stop before students are just completely kicked out of our educational institutions entirely. And we know, you know, what 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 that bodes for life trajectories if students don't get to complete high school. And we and we layer on that right, generations of, of, of inequality in communities of color, and it Absolutely. just exacerbates uh, those problems. So when I was leading that, that, um, that alternative high school, we were very much dealing with parents who would come in and say, I used to go to this school, mm-hmm. things haven't changed, you know, or it's the sure. same old this or that. And they didn't just mean the physical building. They meant the attitude towards them. They meant the, they met the, the the expectations, right? Mm-hmm. And so at that at that program, it was really important to be able to like say we are trying to reset that, right? Mm-hmm. We we I uh, first, so first it was an acknowledgement, right? Because sometimes we want to kind of sugarcoat and paint over the fact that you know schools are representative of the society we live in, and we live in a hierarchical, unequal, <laughs> you know, society that that has white supremacy as its underpinnings. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. a school is a microcosm of that. So a school is going to replicate in its own way all of the the dilemmas and problems associated with that construct I just described. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so you want to get people to to respect and hear and trust you, then you got to be open with them. Yes. (laughs) You know, school has not done you well. School has not Mm -hmm. served many of our children well. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 I am here to try and do differently and do better. And Mm -hmm. I know that the way to do that is to approach you as an equal, to recognize that you've got knowledge and experience um, that that is a strength that I need that we need in Mm -hmm. order to move forward. Right. And that Mm -hmm. and that we can problem solve together with our respective strengths. Mm -hmm. I have the strength of being trained as a school leader, you have the strength of, you know, your community, you know, what your expectations, you know, your child, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what has worked for your family and your child. And mm-hmm. so together, right? And the teacher knows, you know, what is the content I'm supposed to deliver. And so together, right, we bring three equal bodies of knowledge to the table right. in order to 
arrive at a at a path at a at a process as a as a you know at a at a plan for growth for your child. So mm-hmm. that that's fundamental, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's approaching people and respecting them as equals, right? And also not sugarcoating the fact that schools have been very unsafe and very harmful places for far too many black and brown children for far too long. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you, one of the things you just said um, really struck me was uh, you, where you said um, approach them as their equal. Um, and I've, I've been in rooms where um, we've received a little bit of pushback um, where, um, you know, where people have said, you know, that we would love to be able to engage with um, parents in a way that um, that that benefits the kids, but because many of them were um, miseducated, undereducated, and weren't and and don't really know how to engage in the system, um, mm-hmm. we, we we aren't able to do that. Um, and so right. I, I, I so I, I know one thing that comes to mind as you were talking about what you were doing requires a great deal of trust, that you had to establish some trust from those parents. Right. But my question mm-hmm. to you is, um, so, so you have these parents, not all of them certainly, but you have parents that are, are very unfamiliar with what the model is for parents being involved. They, like, that's not their experience. Generationally, it's not been their experience. Right. What did you right. do to help them understand what their role was and bring them into kind of full competence, if you will, to be able to engage with the school in that way. Right, right. Thank you for, for raising this whole question of parent involvement or parent participation, uh, because I think there are, there are kind of two, two main aspects of this. The first is I think that um, parents are already, or caregivers, I'll say, to be more, broad, more inclusive, caregivers are already involved in their, in their, in their young people's lives, right? They're, they're their first teachers. They're the people who love them. They're, they're their most precious, right, earthly, earthly possessions for, you know, the people are possessions. But so they're already involved and vested in, in the life and the success of their, of their child or the person who, under their care. So I think that's the first thing is to acknowledge that schools have a particular framing of parent engagement, right? And that that is very much tied to particular middle-class notions of what it means to be engaged, right? Um, now, so, so, so my response to the pushback is yes and, right? That we must support parents in, 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 in better navigating the school terrain, that could be information sessions about language, the special education lingo that, that is often confusing the parents when, they're, you know, um, when their child is uh, undergoing or receiving special education services, mm-hmm. right? That means um, helping people understand some of the legalisms and legalistic language in the school settings. It, it, it means conveying the importance of certain kinds of uh, experiences in school and really wanting parent in, uh, uh, presence. Mm-hmm. And it also means recognizing that some of the boxes we check off that equal parent participation might not work for all families and all communities, and that there are other ways that parents can be involved that are equally, if not more valid, right? Mm-hmm. So a parent might not be able 
to show up physically for your parent-teacher conference, right? But if you could do a virtual conference or a phone conference, right, then you can get the same results. And, mm-hmm. and now in the age of Zoom, right, we know that everything can be everything that we want thought could not be can be done remotely. Mm-hmm. So, sure. uh, or it means that um, perhaps the events you have at school would be more better attended if there was a sense that parents felt welcome in the space, meaning to what extent are you, um, are you attending to their cultural needs, right, uh-huh. to their physical uh-huh. adaptation needs, to uh-huh. the fact that you want parents to show up at a school um, at a time where they need to be feeding their kids and, and, you know, getting their homework done and putting them to bed. Um, so, and also, what is the school providing Right by way of understanding the unique talents or expertise that parents have in their in their in their careers or in their in their cultural expertise that can be an asset in the school, so that things that are strengths to them can now also be valued in the school. So I think it's a both end. Right, we need to expand what we call parent involvement and parent engagement. Right, and we need to also um, create supportive structures for educating, right, not looking down on, but educating um, parents about the ways in which um, their schools can have expectations about how they navigate. And also, Mm -hmm. as leaders, knowing when those expectations are biased, unnecessary, Mm -hmm. or or exclusive. So I think think there is an onus on us to to think, to imagine differently what we're calling mm-hmm. family and parent engagement, mm-hmm. right? Um, Absolutely. Beginning with what does the community see as being involved and engaged, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, we could, we could go on and on about that, but oh, it, that is so important because, you know, it's the difference between when parents walk into school feeling uh, reticent and, and defensive and when they walk in feeling comfortable and they're, they're, they're conversing with people and there's an ease. You, you, you know, I mean, I've, I've stood in front doors of schools for many, many years and seen the way parent demeanor literally changes when they walk into a building where they feel unwelcome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and also, uh, you know, I've, I've seen, have been the witness firsthand about um, not just the parents, but just other community uh, members um, that are there also mm-hmm. don't feel welcome. Um, which is a good a good segue into kind of pivoting a bit. Um, the other part of what I I was struck by your story and 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 your um, you know kind of um, pa- uh, pathway in leadership. Um, one was the, the the school that you were a co-founder of in the in the uh, as a middle school principal in Mass. Um, yes. And which I think is a great case study for, um, as you put it, confronting privilege and power. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and where where there were things that you did that were not they're, they're not easy decisions to make. Um, they're certainly not easy um, uh, ways in engaging um, teachers to to uh, be to to focus their instruction in the school, but they were the right things to do. Um, Where you talked about um, acknowledging the systemic problem and and inviting silenced voices to the table. And and so I I guess my question to you is, 
because that doesn't seem like so big of a stretch, you know, in terms of engaging parents, what do you think is the real barrier? Why is it that people don't want these parents to the table? Is it because they don't necessarily speak the way some do or dress the way? What do you think that barrier is? Right. I, I think there's some of that. I think that there is certainly, you know, I mean, human beings tend to, you know, cluster or coalesce around others that they're more familiar with, right? And when you, when you include in that a society that has categorized and given value to certain groups of people more than others, right, um, that's, that, that is the society we live in. So I think that, um, that there, is, there are moments where people are bringing, I mean, this is one of the things we talk about when we're talking about being more culturally proficient, recognizing that we all bring biases and, and, and a particular lens into our interactions with others based on our upbringing, our experiences, right, um, um, the things that, that formed and shaped who we currently are. So we mm-hmm. all have, you know, spaces that we miss because of that, and we are all breathing the air of a white supremacist society, right? And so there, there are assumptions about groups that we see and are given messages about all day long, right, um, about who is dangerous, who is an other, who belongs, who doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, a school is, again, a microcosm of society. So we don't leave those assumptions at the door. We bring those into the school. And so if people feel that certain groups of people, you know, well, this person is less educated than me, or they speak a language foreign to me, or they speak English in a dialect that I have been taught is somehow deficit, right? Mm -hmm. People bring all of that to those conversations with parents or to those interactions with students. So there's, 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 disrupting that first of all again acknowledging that that's what's happening right but this isn't about oh, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person educator because yeah. you know in in many respects the fact that you chose to go into an education into education to to, to, to serve right is, is noble so i'm going to assume or we should assume best intent right mm-hmm. but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we don't have biases and that we haven't absorbed some of the some of the rate the isms that 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 plague our society so there's, mm-hmm. there's addressing that and, 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 and being ever curious and ever a learner and, 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 and wanting to, to kind of expand the tent, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yes. and so there's, there's the work that has to be done around helping people become more culturally proficient about our differences, right, and embracing them as well as acknowledging our, our, our similarities or the areas of convergence and intersection. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. I think there's an, another part which is that, um, again, I'll keep going back to this, right? Our society is, is not structured as a utopian, right? Everybody's going to get a, a fair share of everything. That's not been the reality here. Right. And so, and, and I'll go further and say that for much of our history, our education systems were used to perpetuate oppression and inequality. Right? Whether you're talking about right. boarding schools for Native Americans or segregated education for African Americans or Chicanos, right? So we know that schools have been used intentionally through law and policy as places of harm for certain That's communities, right. Right? That's right? So I think we need to just blow that open and, and, and say that unequivocally. And certainly mm-hmm. the past two years, our society has talked about, you know, systemic inequality and white supremacy much more comfortably than in the past, right? But mm-hmm. we don't want that to become a fad and go away because yes. the systemic inequality isn't going away, 
right? That's so right. we need to pull that out and say, yes, this is also happening, right? And so in addition to individuals becoming more culturally proficient, we have to recognize that educational institutions are doing what they were designed to do, maintain right. and perpetuate inequality, right? That's so right. That's right. as a school leader, you have to be willing to interrupt that. I tell people I work with and mentor, understand that everything in education is a political act. It is mm-hmm. a power, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the reason they wanted brown and black children not to, be, not to know anything coming out of school is so that they could not challenge the place. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. power is inherent in the institution of schooling. Right. And so we need to be able to say that we need to be able to interrupt um, 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 barriers to our student success. So if that means the school is not inclusive enough, then we have to be willing to confront that, bring data and then be willing to step out front and take the necessary actions to interrupt that, to challenge that, to, to, to break that down. Right. Um, so because it's a political act, it requires you to be bold. It requires you to be unequivocal about what you stand for, right? So I know some folks just, and I'm I'm being a little coy here, right? It's Mm -hmm. not you don't just go into like education to make a lot of money, Uh, (laughs) but you you know you go into education hopefully because you're committed to the ideal of a better society and the role that education can have in it, and then you recognize, but wow, all along for like 95% of the country's history that hasn't been true. And education mm-hmm. has been deeply implicated in that. And so mm-hmm. if I'm going to be a real educator, an abolitionist educator or social justice educator or anti-racist educator, then I know I am coming in with the political will to disrupt those, those things that have kept these spaces the way they are. No, absolutely. And your point, uh, well stated and, and well taken. Um, I, I think about, as you, you know, I'm sure you are well aware about the efforts all over the nation that uh, states are going to great lengths to say, look, you can't talk about that because that's <laughs> actually divisive. You know, so somehow the truth of it is divisive, right? So, um, right. That's going to be a bit of a challenge now that um, people are saying that it's actually not something that you should talk about or should teach. Um, Interestingly, I was just reading an article where there, you know, that uh, there are actually some very conservative uh, places that are saying that this could backfire. You know, they say like this is, Mm -hmm. you know, like when you start talking about that people can't um, talk about, uh, issues like this and you're banning uh you know so they, they're banning wholeheartedly some um some lessons um i i yes. just read also that there were books by rosa parks and and martin luther king jr that they're saying no these are banned books because they teach mm-hmm. about racial discord and we're trying to get past racial discord so um <laughs> You know, so the challenges are going to really be out there for leaders, mm-hmm. um, and especially those in this uh, area of the work where social justice and equity and diversity are at the forefront of their work. Um, right. I, I just had occasion, um, as you know, I'm the director of a program that prepares principals, um, but I was yes. just, um, I was just. Um, had occasion to talk to some of my students, and 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 so um, some sometimes uh, people make all the work that they want to do about just about 
race or just about equity. And I, and I, and mm-hmm. I have to tell them, you know, that is important work. Um, it's not the yes. only work to be done nope. um, because nope. we cannot use, lose sight of the fact that students have to know some of the very basics. And that's not in absence of knowing the truth. They have to still also know how to do mathematics and know scientific principles and learn how to read and all kinds of other things. And, and so I think that's why when I look at kind of the, the, the holistic way in which you have mm-hmm. uh, approached um, the, the work that you've done as a principal and now um, your role as a director of this, uh, this, this, this group uh, looking to uh, – to do transformation, but culturally uh, appropriate transformation, mm-hmm. and that doesn't just mean that that you're 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 talking only about social justice, because in yes. in the fact that we have social justice issues has to do also with some of the curricular inequities, right? right. That that yes. Is, yes. it's also that some of that has been part of the problem historically. And so I'm oh, just really, I'm really glad to, to hear about, you know, that, that that's the approach that you have. Yes, yes. And I, I, would, just, I would add that I'm glad you said that because it is, it is absolutely true. You know, as I said, um, the goal of Escolta is to increase the number of black and, black, black and Latinx students who are graduating from high school, college, and career ready. So even our school improvement or school transformation projects ultimately are getting at how is this project creating the, either the cultural space or the end, the intellectual space for students to thrive so that they can complete their courses, so that they can be promoted to the next grade, so that they can ultimately graduate and be set up for success beyond high school. So mm-hmm. it, it has to be both ends. I think mm-hmm. you know, it's a mistake if it's just about, you know, I mean, if it's just about culture or if it's um, just about anti-racism. But, but I think sometimes that's a, that's a perhaps simplified way of looking at it because yes. if we think about before, right, if we think about during segregation, right, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned mm-hmm. the places that, weren't, that are no longer allowing us to, to, to learn about these issues because there was a time where it was also against the law for us to learn how to read and write, right? As that's right, right. So, right. but we found a way anyway, right? Whether mm-hmm. we were in the in the you know tricking somebody, or we were had a school underground in the forest, or in the in the, right. in the, in the woods outside of whatever, we figured out a way to acquire the literacy because we knew literacy was connected with agency and self determination. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually not worried about um, people of color and these laws because we mm-hmm. have always had to circumvent the law for our survival. That's I think right. this is a direct attack on white families. Mm-hmm. I think that this is saying, white families, we are going to hide this truth from your children because mm-hmm. we don't like this multiracial society that you all seem to want to have in the future, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm actually, I actually think that's who those laws are more for. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, but, it, but, it, but it, it's part of the work. And so if we're doing school improvement, right, a lot of, of what the work we do is around unit design or lesson design. So the culturally relevant pedagogy comes in in terms of, um, the kinds of topics that you're choosing, the ways in which you're including students in your decision-making, right? Um, the cultural um, pieces that you add to the, to the curriculum, right? But ultimately, you want that child or that young person to be able to, to, to think critically, to analyze, 
to understand how to process information, right, and to have the habits of mind to be successful in our society, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's, 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 again, it's one of those both ends. It, it's, it's no good if I know all my black history, but I can't do, um, you know, I can't do high school math. Right? That, that doesn't serve me well. Right. Um, if right. I really know my black history, I also know about the black mathematicians, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 the, and the innovations or, the, or the, the, um, the contributions that they provided. And I'm learning that in my geometry or my trade class. That's right. That's alongside right. the formulas and the theorems, you know? That's right. Absolutely important to see uh, uh, people in the images that are like you and like people in your family um, that represent uh, achievement and um, all kinds of accomplishment in this country. So, um, Jamel, mm-hmm. thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, I, I knew I would learn a lot from you, and I'm sure people <laughs> kind of eavesdropping on this conversation did um, too. And just wishing you a lot of success, continued success, the work that you're doing um, in Boston, and um, we'll be we'll keep our eye out uh, for things that you're writing and sharing um, about how uh, to make these transformations happen. And so uh, I'm going to look forward to to hearing more about that. And so uh, just asking you to just take care of yourself and and keep doing the great work that you're doing on behalf of children and families that uh, have been historically disadvantaged and underrepresented. Um, so thanks so much. And so until thanks next time. You. Um, seeing you, meeting you again, go well, stay well. Thank you, thank you so much.